excited that we have a, um, a speaker that I've, I've seen across Otter Creek for several years now. Uh, and then JB said one day, you should get Byron Williamson to speak to your class. He has a really interesting background. I was like, okay, fine. So I contacted Byron. He said he was he would be willing to speak to us, and I was like, I guess I need to find out what his background is. So, um, uh, he, I'm gonna tell you a little bit, because he's gonna tell his story, so I'm, uh, he sent me the whole information here. Um, he grew up in, in uh, a small town in, in North Texas, the farming village, with he and his mom, I believe, and um, uh, went from there to uh, a publishing career. Uh, and he um, was in, uh, he started, uh, I, I underlined some of this and then I didn't, he was at Worthy Publishing. And they, he started seeing it, uh, it wasn't just books, uh, trying to publish Christian books for, for Christian bookstores, but started looking at, hey, where else can we, can we send these out, where we get a, a larger audience. He uh, signed and uh, engineered prominent space in mainstream retailers for Michael W. Smith and for Amy Grant. Um, Word saw what Worthy was accomplishing and they acquired that, that uh, they required, acquired uh, Worthy and Byron was made president of Word Publishing. And he has published from like Billy Graham, Charles Swindoll, Charles Coldson, Dr. James Dobson, um, and then they were, Word was, uh, was acquired by Thomas Nelson. So at that point, I believe the Williamsons moved to Nashville. So um, he resigned from Thomas Nelson and founded Integrity Publishers. And one of the things, how many of y'all have the little book, Jesus Calling, the, day, the daily uh, devotional book? Well, we owe that to Byron Williamson. He uh, had that idea, he found someone to write it, and it, they published it, and there have been um, okay, uh, 35 million, how many? Something north of that. Yeah, more than 35 million copies of that sold. So I'm gonna turn it over to Byron, which if you grew up in West Tennessee, his name would be Byron. <laughs> Just thought I'd pass, so I had, in, I had to work in on. In Texas, it's Byron. <laughs> yeah. This is recording, so maybe it'll record from there. Maybe it will there. Started making notes about what I could say here, and. Uh, after I made a few notes, I timed myself, and it took seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, 40 minutes? It's actually, is that what it is? How much have I got? Yeah, you got and, and is this, is our class is supposed to be over at 9.45 or 9.50 or 9.40? When is technically? When <laughs> 10 10.45. 10.45, okay. Somebody five minutes before that. I was going to just say whenever I leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm waiting until I need somebody really bad. <laughs> uh, You're soon. Uh, as I thought about what to talk about here this morning, and, and talking about myself for more than five minutes, it starts getting uncomfortable. <laughs> if you ever get asked, if you haven't been asked to do this, it's a real challenge. Uh, 
the, uh, uh, but as I thought about it today, I was reminded of a passage uh, from John 15 that Josh brought to our attention a few weeks ago. Uh, it's it's a, a passage that actually brings humility after you think about it for a minute. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. I've learned that I learned that time and time and time again. I kept having to learn it again through life. And some I guess it's some of you have had a similar experience. Uh, I'd love to hear some of your stories, but as I've alluded to, I'm I'm a little bit uncomfortable sharing mine. So I'm reading most of this. Uh, otherwise, I'll ramble. Uh, my life is not the result of careful planning. Uh, peering back, there's clear evidence on a regular basis of God's grace at work where I go, oh, that was what I was supposed to do. You know? and, um, so that's, that needs to be understood as I go through here because it's, there's a lot of sort of bric-a-brac in, this, in my story that uh, flows together, but it flows together only because God made it work that way. As a five-year-old in rural North Texas, as was alluded to a minute ago, I lived with my mom in an old ramshackle farmhouse uh, with no running water or electricity, only kerosene lanterns for light, propane tank for heat, and uh, an outdoor hand pump water well. It was a lot of fun. I always had a good time with that. Uh, so when we wanted to take a bath, what you'd do is you'd pump some water in a couple of buckets and bring it in the house and put it in the, and, and heat it, uh, because we did have propane, and then pour it in the, the wash basin and then that's where I had my bath up until I was five or six years old. You're uh, not that old. Huh? You're not that old. I'm 77, so. <laughs> uh, all the while, my dad was isolated uh, for well over a year. Some say as much as 18 months. I wasn't keeping track of it in a veteran's hospital with tuberculosis. I was told everybody in his hospital ward but my dad had died. Uh, TB was pretty tough back in the late 40s, early 50s. Still, I had this joyful life. I, I, I didn't really fully appreciate what my dad was going through until after he got out of the hospital years later and I saw all the scars on his chest from removing portions of his lungs and those kind of things. Uh, in the fall of 1951, that was the first time I recall being aware of myself as a human being on planet Earth. You all of a sudden realize, whoa, wait a minute, what am I? Uh, late one afternoon, I, while playing in the grain field beside this old house out in the and the uh, country, I flopped down on my back into a patch of dried out, uncut wheat, which still stood in the corner by the fence. You know, where the, they can't cut it, they can't get in the corner. Laying down on my back, staring straight up at a majestic blue sky, particularly blue that day, uh, and it occurred to me that I was a distinct person in God's creation, and that God was looking down and could actually see me there on the ground laying in that wheat field. And I marveled. It's a five-year-old even. I marveled, not moving an inch, just drinking it in. And I still cherish that five-year-old moment. Uh, I don't remember much before that, but that one's crystal clear. Uh, during my elementary years, I spent a great deal of time with my dad's parents. Uh, and with my great-grandpa, Jeremiah Williamson, who lived with them. Uh, now think about this, he was born in 1858, didn't pass away until 1960, 
uh, so I knew him for 12 years. He was 102. He told me all about his Civil War era boyhood in North Texas. Get this, about Comanche Indian raids. <laughs> and especially his respect for then president, he referred to as Uncle Abe. <laughs> right then I became fascinated with history, uh, eager to learn my family's roots, uh, which at that time went as far back in my, memory, as my knowledge as Chucky, Tennessee. The Williamsons came from Chucky, uh, near the, the Carolina border. Uh, he told me about his Civil War era boyhood in North Texas, about the Comanche raids and so on, uh, and that the, uh, the family, the Jeremiah's family, had struck out from Chucky for Texas as the Civil War broke out. But being pro-Union and anti-slavery, East Texan, East Tennesseans, which was pretty normal, uh, East Tennessee voted against secession, pretty dramatically against it. Uh, they diverted to Southern Missouri during the war. Immediately after Appomattox was signed, they moved to Texas. And I grew up never knowing anyone in the Williamson clan who would tolerate racism. On the opposite side of my family, some of you may have had this experience, uh, family tree was Thomas Boyd, another great-grandfather who lived pre-Civil War in pre-Civil War Mississippi. He became Confederate Captain Thomas Boyd. He was captured at Vicksburg in July of 1863. Thomas was packed together with 600 other captured Confederate officers from the battles of Gettysburg and Vicksburg, becoming known as the Immortal 600. They, they actually, they, there are several books on that, including this one. Uh, and the purpose was the South was sort of famous for not being very nice to Union uh, captures, so the North was going to get even. So they took these 600. <coughs> This is a good Christian ethic here. Uh, they took those 600 rebel officers uh, and put, put them in very primitive conditions for two years, partly in Savannah around Fort Pulaski. Some of you have been to Fort Pulaski, where they uh, used, were used as buffers against Confederate artillery fire. Uh, as I've noted, the Williamson side was overtly anti-slavery. However, American uh, media, you may remember, complained vociferously about Saddam Hussein hiding weapons and troops inside the homes of helpless Iranian people, uh, or Iraqi people, and all our media threw a fit. Uh, not really reflecting back on how the Union Army had done a very similar thing during that war. So, you know, ethics and integrity is not something that's particularly shared by any culture, I don't think. Uh, after being released in early 1865, the summer of 65, Skin and Bones Thomas walked home to Mississippi, uh, packed up his family and moved them to Texas. <laughs> um, Texas was Confederate also. Uh, on its second vote, it went that way. But um, anyway, he moved to Wise County, Texas, up in <coughs> Texas, near where a little shanty I had lived. During my early years, I was a happy, though mediocre, student in high school. No real vision for myself. In, in 1964, I left for Abilene Christian, becoming a Bible major, for Lord knows what reason. <laughs> However, I was successfully accumulating a pathetic grade point. <laughs> no surprise, I knew that was all I should be expected to, have, to do. Uh, at ACU, I worked washing dishes in the cafeteria and later in maintenance, taking care of campus grounds, you know, cutting grass, raking leaves, picking up trash. Uh, and yes, in West Texas, they have leaves. 
<laughs> it was my only spending money since I was uh, paying half my tuition and expenses. At the beginning of my junior year, the director of testing and measurements at Abilene Christian called me into his office just before the semester started. He happened to know my dad, and that my dad had an earned PhD from the University of Missouri. Uh, he told me he had looked at my poor academic record for the first two years at ACU and was deeply dissatisfied with my performance. <laughs> I informed him I had secretly peaked at my IQ score when I was in junior high school and that it was so low that no one should expect me to have the grade. <laughs> he just kind of rolled his eyes and he opened a, a file folder sitting in front of him, kind of a big fat file folder, uh, reviews it for a minute, flipping through uh, what I assume was my academic records. After a bit, he looks up and kind of stares at me and tells me that my IQ is in the top range of my class. And he just kind of gave me this dirty look. <laughs> just like, you know, you've done that before. He then says, Byron, and he, I'm this is a quote, Byron, you need to get your act together. Well, in that instant, I was sort of forced to rethink my expectations of myself. Admittedly, uh, with far more focused work, I actually studied. My grade point jumped from 1.7 after the first two years to 3.8 grade point for the next two years. And in graduate school, the Lord had given me sort of a swift kick in the pants. Uh, and I never have felt badly about that uh, testing and measurement dude uh, giving me the hard time. In fact, I'd love to hug him if he were alive today. Uh, the summer after my freshman year, I signed up to sell Bibles door to door with the Southwestern Company uh, here in Nashville, spawning my first trip to Music City. Uh, in 1966, during my second summer selling Bibles, I found myself going door to door in the countryside around Coleman, Alabama. Mm -hmm. That experience taught me to confidently look people in the eye, make my pitch, listen closely, close the sale. It was, it was a, a terrific experience for me, just disciplining me to communicate with people. It also introduced me to what must have been hundreds of Ku Klux Klan members <laughs> around, around Coleman. Uh, you may remember that just the south boundary of Coleman County, there's a village called the Colony. Okay. White folks rounded up all the black folks at one point back in the, I think, the 20s, uh, and just nicely moved them down to the Colony and said, you can come up here and go to work, but you can't live up here. Uh, and so I, as I went around the, the countryside, uh, I was overwhelmed by the banter from Coleman County folks out in the country particularly, uh, racist comments, and they, they just, that was, they, they all wanted to talk, that was what they wanted to talk about, not news, not sport, they wanted to talk about racism. And uh, keeping in mind that I was a, I was a Lincoln Republican, I didn't say, I didn't argue with them, I just listened, I sometimes asked questions, kind of curious, and uh, they didn't seem to, as long as I wasn't negative, they seemed to think I was just fine. Most actually wanted them to buy a Bible. Uh, <laughs> Uh, as an AC year cheerleader my senior year, I was part of an orientation event that summer to teach a cheer and school song to incoming freshmen. And I was starstruck as I am now. Uh, as I gazed out into the crowd and first saw my future bride, Beth, sitting uh, just attentively about 50 feet away. Though it was a day before, a day later that we actually met, the timing of such connections illustrates, though, for all of us, uh, how life decisions, born of God's grace, shape our futures. 
And we've got to be ready to embrace those opportunities as God brings them to us. We can't make them. God provides them. Beth and I have two wonderful children, Ryan, who many of you know that's here at Otter Creek, and Shelly, who lives with her family uh, in South Lake, Texas. As I was about to graduate from ACU, one of my professors, some of you may know him, uh, Dr. Lemoyne Lewis, uh, who was valedictorian of his doctoral class at Harvard, saw just, saw, just, saw just such potential in me that he pulled me aside at the end of my senior year, I was checking my grades, and offered to sponsor me at Harvard Graduate School. Well, I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, I didn't believe I had any business at Harvard. I still didn't have that much confidence myself. So I shook, his, uh, head, shook uh, my head and Flavie said, no, but thank you so much. Had I said yes, I would likely have missed out on some wonderful opportunities I'll tell you about here in a minute. And so to be truthful, I'm glad I said no. I was flattered and that's always blessed me. But I think I dealt with it properly. I stayed on at ACU for grad school and, and as I read and studied, I began to see my personal faith uh, in the body of Christ more broadly. I had not gone to Harvard, but my ACU grad school professors themselves had wonderful backgrounds. And you don't really think about that when you think about Lipscomb or Abilene Christian or Pepperdine. Uh, but they'd gotten their doctorates at Harvard, Yale, Chicago, Duke, University of Southern California, which is like, SMU, like, uh, like Vanderbilt has a theological seminary, and St. Andrews in Scotland. I even started buying my books via postal service under their influence from Blackwell's Bookshop in Oxford, England, uh, sort of an early Amazon thing. Uh, my mom, Ruth Marie Gage Williamson, was a spiritual giant, literally. Uh, she studied her Bible daily. You, if you can see her Bible and how it's marked up, I couldn't even read the text, much less her notes, but she lived with that. Uh, and she had her a closet. My dad built it, she has a closet where she prayed. And she would go into that closet and kneel and pray every day. And she had long, Beth has seen some of them, long, her prayer notes and people she was praying for and responses to prayer. It's, it's very humbling. Uh, my dad, Merrill Delwin, who went by MD, we would always get phone calls at home wanting to talk to Dr. Williamson because my son's got a broke his leg. And I'd have to explain, wrong MD. Uh, <laughs> was a professor at the University of North Texas and an elder for something like 40 years. Uh, he was also a leader in his academic discipline, becoming president of the American Industrial Arts Association. So I saw him in every context leading and taking and offering constructive uh, comment. <coughs> After all five of their sons, who were five of us boys, I was the oldest, had moved on to college and beyond, my mom volunteered get this, to be the emergency child care shelter for Denton County, Texas. I was later told that, uh, in fact, it was at her funeral, now that I think about it, that it was, it was everyone was told that uh, over the 15 years, nearly 15 years that she served as the emergency child care shelter, she took in over 200 children. Mm -hmm. Now, as you know, emergency child care shelters, it may be overnight, it's, it may be just one night, it may be a week, this is not two years worth of, of, of attention. Not, not long after fostering began, my dad was appointed to the Texas Child uh, Welfare Board down in Austin, Texas, where he would travel monthly to meet for many years. Not willing to retire, my dad coordinated after he worked as long as he could as a professor. Uh, he coordinated Habitat for Humanity in Denton, and at 80 years of age, he was still climbing around on 
uh, home construction rooftops, making sure the guys were doing it right. Uh, back at ACU, I had always been curious about long-held Church of Christ uh, views that we were the only true church. I was totally captured by the early vision of the Restoration Movement that many of you know more than I do about in the early 1800s with its focus on unity among Methodists, Presbyterians, and Baptists particularly. And as some of you know, many congregations change the names on the front of their church buildings to Christians Meet Here. And I, even not having any perspective as a grown-up, but just as a 19 or 20 or 21-year-old, that moved me. Uh, as I worked through grad school, my teachers helped me discover God's grace and the beauty of unity among a broader cross-section of believers. That insight also came from reading such eclectic authors, and this is just a few, you would, you've read hundreds and so have I, but C.S. Lewis, uh, William Barclay, F.F. Bruce, John Stott, even Oswald Chambers, they opened my eyes to what it really meant to be Christian. Uh, after earning a master's in administering in church history at Abilene Christian, I took youth education ministry positions in Dallas-Fort Worth area uh, from 1970 through 76. Beth and I weren't sure, she surely wasn't sure, that that was God's calling. Uh, but it seemed the right thing at the moment, and we weren't quite sure what the alternative was. Uh, one day, one of my elders, uh, later a doctor in Abilene, Dr. Roy Willingham, walked into my church office holding some creative study materials that I put together for the church youth group. He asked me, have you ever thought about going into publishing? Well, no. That thought had never occurred to me. I was intrigued, but I had no clue uh, what, how one would travel that road. How, would, how do you get there? Uh, but for the next couple of years, that question kind of haunted me. God continued to give me clues about my future, though I didn't recognize them until later. For instance, in the summer of 1976, there was a big thing that occurred in, in St. Louis. It was called the Continental Congress on the Family. Uh, and I, for whatever reason, I went as a minister of education. Uh, and I stood in the lunch line one day chatting with this Christian counselor from California. He just started a little radio show. We sort of connected. In later years, I published a number of his bestsellers. His name was Dr. James C. Dobson. Uh, a year later, out of the blue, a door opened and I felt God's hand all over it. An old college friend calls and offers me a job at Sweet Publishing Company in Austin, Texas. Went home, talked to Beth. We said yes. Turned out to be kind of a tough decision. It was a hard several years. But uh, after six years of learnings publishing at Sweet, most, uh, mostly producing curriculum for Churches of Christ, uh, Sweet was moved from Austin to Fort Worth. And that was good news for Beth and me both. Uh, the, uh, uh, at that time, God, and about that time, it was just right after that, Riding down the interstate one day, as you all have these, you have these little ideas that pop in your head as you're driving along and it's quiet, uh, prompted me the idea to create the first full translation of the Bible for children based on a third grade reading level, a third grade vocabulary. It became the International Children's Bible, the ICB, interestingly promoted by, on radio by Dr. James E. Dobson. Uh, nice, to, you know, who you know matters. Uh, it has sold something like 15 million copies. Little did I realize my career track was actually kind of off and running with what was you know, I was calling worthy. A year after I, the ICB hit, it occurred to me to create an adult cousin to the ICB, although it required a major new translation work, called the New Century Version, the NCV. 
It was promoted on national television by Billy Graham, who personally, on, that, on television, pitched that translation, how great it was, and took orders on national television for 750,000 copies in a week. <laughs> uh, television media can't help. Um, uh, there in Fort Worth, I racked my brain about how to grow worthy publishing. I was keenly aware I had no connection in the world of Christian authors other than this sort of backdoor connection with Dobson, which I hadn't done anything with yet other than him supporting the Bible. Uh, I was, uh, so as a non-instrumental Church of Christ kid, my first idea was to reach out to a friend of my brother's, uh, to a guy in Nashville, Tennessee named Michael Blanton. So here's this non-instrumental guy reaching out to the instrumental people. Uh, never having met me, uh, amazingly, Mike took a 20-minute meeting here in Nashville, uh, one that led to worthy publishing books with both Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith that we were alluded to earlier. Amy's heart-to-heart -heart Bible stories and Smitty's old enough to know were so popular, they opened doors for, at both Beedall and Walden's. And that was significant because it was very uncommon for Christian books to attain premium secular bookstore shelf space. You had to, Billy Graham got it, in, in fairness, but not many authors did. But both books sold over a million copies. And the B. Daltons and Waltons of the world went, hmm, maybe these Christians will buy books. <laughs> uh, so um, I had no idea where all this was going, but Worthy was picking up a little steam, uh, and I, I just was sort of chasing it. Uh, in, in, late, in late 1988, Worthy was sold to Word, Inc. It was owned by Cap Cities, ABC, now Disney. And I hadn't seen that train coming either. Word was the largest Christian music and book company. So I was the smallest, and now I'm with the biggest. Uh, on my first day managing Word books, and they asked me to manage it for some crazy reason. I'd only published 17 books in my life. I, I took the first sheet off the top stack that needed approval in this office at Word. It was a travel expense report from an author an author that a teacher at ACU had told me was going to hell in a handbasket because he preached cheap grace. <laughs> uh, so I just sat there looking at this piece of paper and the author's signature on this expense report. It was Billy Graham. And so shaking my head, I sat back in my chair, and you might have done the same thing, asking myself, how on earth did I get here? Uh, and then it occurred to me, God had been preparing me for a long time for this moment. I just was not quite into God's warp and uh, didn't really see it until I sat there and realized it uh, facing that signature. At Word, I was blessed to recruit a team, and you know what, I, one of the things I've learned through the years, and that's true for this church staff, uh, among the leadership here, but it's, it's about the team. Uh, if you think you can do it yourself, you're toast. You may be able to make it for 10 minutes, but it, ultimately it's the team. So I was able to recruit a great team. We continued publishing Billy Graham, but then with a strong team, we started signing new authors at Word. Uh, Max Licato, Chuck Colson, Pat Robertson, James Dobson, Barbara Johnson, Oz Guinness, charismatic Jack Hayford, whom I love dearly, Tony Campolo, Chuck Swindoll, and even baseball player Nolan Ryan. I couldn't believe God had placed a Church of Christ kid from the sticks in position to reach worldwide Christian community with positive messages uh, with a diverse list of authors. It was kind of an oxymoron to me. The, the one rule, though, that I always cherished, and this was before I even got into publishing, but certainly since, uh, is that 
we, we only publish authors who write positive messages that help readers thrive in their faith walk and don't divide the body of Christ. I'm not into anything other than that. A few years later, word was bought by Thomas Nelson, and shortly thereafter, in 1995, Nelson moved Beth and me here to Nashville. I became president of Thomas Nelson. At Nelson, we added authors like Frank Peretti and leadership guru John Maxwell, his first book, uh, each blessing me with memorable ways, and personally, too. They, they both became good friends and uh, dear, dear people to me. A sobering moment came in 1996. While standing on the notorious balcony, if you can picture it from the watching television, inside the New York Stock Exchange of the, the balcony up there, I was standing up there hearing the bell ring as Thomas Nelson becomes publicly traded. A Christian book publisher is publicly traded. That, that, that's still an oxymoron to me. But um, at that moment, I expected, uh, I was expected to have converted to a corporate guy, no longer a Christian content development marketing guy. Uh, and being corporate, wasn't me. Uh, and for, for that and related reasons, uh, I hung on with my nails. Uh, despite accelerating personal struggles over the next couple of years, we managed to continue Nelson's mushroom and growth, in part from reinventing two of my old word imprints, Word Kids became Tommy Nelson children's books. Then we started from scratch with uh, a gift book business called Jay Countryman. Both, I had good friends to come in that were bright people to run both of those. Uh, but then in the fall of 1998, with mounting pressure from a turbulent work culture, and all of you, because you're at the age you are right now, know that the success of companies is the culture in the company. It's not who the people are, it's the culture that they create. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the, the Nelson culture, I, I, in the midst of that, I just crashed and burned. Reorganizing, recognizing my own spiritual and emotional trauma, I walked into the chairman's office and I just resigned. Gave him a letter of resignation. I had nowhere to go, just resigned. It was a kind of a survival thing. And at that exact moment, I went blind in my right eye. Oh. Detached retina. I left the building, drove blindly to Vanderbilt emergency room. Uh, I began allowing God then to wrap his arm around me. And Beth courageously held me up during difficult that difficult recovery process that really took a couple of years. Over time, I, I was healed ill via multiple surgeries. It took about six months. And interestingly enough, I wore glasses for 20 years. After the surgery and after the work that was done, I haven't. I had 20/20 vision, and I haven't had to wear glasses since. So, I mean, you talk about something bad turning into a, a, a kind of a surprise blessing. Um, the um, After two years of a non-compete, and some of you in business know what that is, uh, when a business is sold, uh, some of the senior people sometimes are bound with non-compete, so you <coughs> become undercut the sale. Uh, after that non-compete, uh, I was offered a couple of positions in, at New York publishing houses, but I didn't feel right about their core values. Leaping through product catalogs, I saw sort of humanistic editorial worldviews, not to mention immoral uh, content, and I knew my mama wouldn't appreciate it. <laughs> I, as I flipped through those catalogs thinking, if my mother looked through this catalog, she would say, this is not a decision. And so I just smiled and said, no. Uh, 
So I just walked away. In the early, and then in early 2001, God rewarded that act of simple faith when Integrity Music down in Mobile, Alabama, they were just hitting its stride, invited me to launch what became Integrity Publishing, uh, based here in Brentwood. Uh, God's hand was all over it, allowing my new team to sign some remarkable books. And I just say this because you may be familiar with some of these. Beth Moore's book, Get Out of That Pit, Newt Gingrich's Discovering God in America, Henry Clive John Townsend's God Will Make a Way, Emerson Egerich's Love and Respect, David Jeremiah's Captured by Grace, and Max Licato's It's Not About Me. Uh, I, I couldn't believe how much we were because those books all just kind of took off and went crazy. Um, and then, as uh, alluded to just a minute ago, one of my most amazing experiences in integrity began in the spring of 2003 when my marketing VP dropped off a couple of little short 150-word church bulletin articles. 150 words is about that much typed. Uh, they had been written by, this, by a missionary lady in Australia. Later that day, I picked them up read them and just stopped and I was really moved. Her voice sounded like, and you can appreciate this, something my deeply spiritual mother would have just loved. And you know you know your mom and you know her heart. And when I read that I got teary and I just thought this this is my mom. The wording reminded me of my mom's uh, favorite devotional, which had been at her bedside and I'd noticed it for I never that you know it's one of those things that it's there, you're aware of it. But it was a book that had been on bedside, her bedside table for years called God Calling by A.J. Russell. It was published in 1953. Inspired by my mom's heart and Russell's title, we pitched Sarah Young on doing a 365-day devotional titled Jesus Calling. She said yes. So we first released it in 2004 and had sold, as I said a minute ago, over 35 million copies of the basic book, plus the extended off in the, the uh, Jesus Calling Bible and the Jesus Calling this and that devotional, uh, a devotional devotional, I guess. Um, uh, and it has become one of, and it may be the most, the best, but one of the best-selling books in the world that was published first published in the 21st century. <coughs> And that's an illustration of God's grace at work. I was just blessed to be in the neighborhood. And some of you have had experiences where you've been blessed by something and realized that it's not about you, as Max book, Max's book alludes. Uh, it's about God at work and, and giving him credit. In late 2006, as the music industry began its scary transition, and some of you have music connections, a scary transition from physical CDs to the digital world, in which there's no product except downloadable, uh, Integrity Music, facing bankruptcy, was forced to sell me and the, the and worthy, and Integrity Publishing to somebody. And so we were told, sold, ironically, to Thomas Nelson. <laughs> uh, good deal for Integrity, although they ended up going bankrupt about a year later anyway. After the sale, I took a, a leap of faith and decided to walk away from Nelson again. And nothing personal, good people over there. Some, some dear friends. Uh, I wasn't sure what God expected of me now, so I waited semi-patiently after another two years of another non-compete and a year of trying to raise funds as, uh, for a new startup, someone referred me to an old acquaintance in Fort Worth. Uh, it's kind of who you know at the end of the day, isn't it? What particular, that particular good brother and his wife had been in a Sunday school class I had taught for several years back when Beth and I were members of the Hills Church in Fort Worth. After a quick five-minute pitch, 
to this guy in his office, he casually agreed to fully fund a new company under the old Worthy Publishing brand, a name that was available again because Worthy Trademark uh, had been abandoned uh, during those years. Again, God came to me from a totally unexpected place uh, and, and blessed us. Beginning in 2009, the new Worthy uh, began searching for exciting new projects to take uh, to tackle. Uh, here are just a few of those projects. What time is it? Yeah, about five minutes. Okay, good. Five or six minutes. Uh, Grammy Award-winning Brothers for King and Country produced a theatrical motion picture called Priceless about human trafficking. They asked us to publish a novelization of the movie. Now, Luke and Joel Smallborn were featured on CBS Sunday Morning in December a year ago as a special feature. They were the lead feature on CBS. And there was the timely B.B. Uh, Winans book, The Whitney I Knew, released only a few weeks after the death of B.B.'s dear friend, Whitney Houston. Uh, a special act of grace allowed us to, to help Dr. David Jeremiah develop and publish the Jeremiah Study Bible uh, that sold like 750,000 copies by then, more by now. A John Hagee book, Four Blood Moons, wasn't my theology, but he's a positive guy. He hit the New York Times list for 17 weeks. At least we had America thinking about the Lord's second coming. Uh, we did several novels with Jerry Jenkins of old Left Behind fame, and in 2017 we launched an imprint with more than 30 titles for the opening of the new Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. In 2018, after nine gracious years with my Fort, Fort Worth investor, an amazingly long period for private equity, he decided to exit, triggering us to sell Worthy, ultimately to Hachette, which is the third largest publisher on the planet. Uh, whether I wanted to or not, uh, I had been kind of hyped up for a number of years. Uh, I effectively retired and again celebrated my, that event in Vanderbilt's emergency room <laughs> with blood pressure something like 220 over 120. And I stayed in three days and the doctors looked and looked and looked and they never could find evidence of a stroke, but they couldn't believe they couldn't find it. Uh, I have been so hyper over those, those years, it's not surprising that I hadn't been able to shut my engines down. However, I'm now in a place where every day I do remember to thank God for Beth and for our children, as well as his grace in providing me so many sort of unsurprising opportunities through the years to serve the kingdom. On another front, Beth and I have found great joy in traveling together. We have particularly loved our multiple trips to Italy, France, Greece, Israel, Great Britain. Uh, in fact, Beth's accusing me of tearing up at everything nowadays as I get older. Uh, but on Facebook or on television, on a semi-regular basis, there'll be some scene from Positano or Portofino or Paris or someplace, and it'll be a place we've been, and I get teary. Uh, it's, it, so I, I guess that means I appreciate it. Uh, and, and in fact, to extend that, we're scheduled to leave this week for Egypt, uh, a place I've dreamed about going since my graduate school days. Uh, any questions? <laughs> did, I, did I get Byron you did great <laughs> Byron told me last Sunday that he never talked 40 minutes about himself he didn't know whether he could do it or not